from the moment that we have the use of reason, we spend a lot of time in our lives trying to please someone. We try to get their acceptance, we try to get their approval, and we try to win their love. When we're a small child, that focus of our attention is our parents, our mom and dad. We want their acceptance, we want their approval, and we certainly want their love. As we grow older and we're teenagers, the focus of our attention changes to our peers. Later, as a young adult, it's that man or that woman that we fall in love with and becomes our partner of life, our husband or our wife. Later, it's our children, our grandchildren. And in between are the business people, the people that you work with, the people that are supervising you and you look up to are the ones that you serve. And their expectations are many. And usually their agenda is not your agenda. But we're always trying to please someone that we want their acceptance, we want to know what they're thinking of us, we want their approval, and we want their love. Jesus took the disciples to the northern part of Israel to a place that the Apostle Mark tells us was Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is where there are wonderful springs of water that are the headwaters of the Jordan River. And in this special place that Jesus took the disciples two times, the first time he turns to the disciples and he says to them, who do the people say that I am? And some of the disciples said, well, you know, Jesus, there's a little bit of confusion. The messaging may not be too clear because some people think you're John the Baptist, others think you're Elias, some think you're Jeremiah. And he looks at them and he says, and who do you think I am? And Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. We're always expecting to receive approval of the people around us. And the expectations as we grow, as we mature, grow larger. And the demands are many. And we don't, when you don't have God in your life, when he's not the center of your life, when you don't have the God-given faith, that distance can put you in a very dark place. You can easily allow anxiety, stress, doubt, fear to knock on your door. And some people take a step back and they escape. And they escape can take all forms of addictions, from soft drugs so that you can sleep at night, to hard drugs, to alcohol, and other addictions. Some people start building up this shell around them to create this image, to create this behavior pattern, which is not theirs, but it's the one that the people that they are striving to win their love and their acceptance, that is the perception that they have of them. And they start leading a life which is not their life. They start leading a life of the perception that others in the public have of them, but it's not their real life. And soon enough, they have a masquerade, which may be pretty, may be acceptable, but it's not them and it's not authentic. I see this a lot nowadays in technology, on Facebook and Instagram, in TikTok. I see sometimes people that they have been filtered over so many times that if I see them in person, I don't even recognize the two. 
We live in a society of enhanced spirit of superficiality, a photoshopped mentality. I know some movie actors, actresses, even politicians that go around with a photographer for their Instagram, waiting for that Kodak moment, which is what they want you to see and what they want you to believe. I teach a class here at AO Bible College, the principles of faith in English. And the cornerstone of my teachings is the law of faith, which is Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 23. And the bridge between the law of faith and what I'm going to talk about this morning starts with Jesus telling the disciples, have faith in God, have the faith of God. And the law of faith says, whosoever shall tell this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart that whatever the things he said shall come to pass, whatever so he said shall come to pass. That is the law of faith. And there's nothing that hurts the kingdom of God more than when any one of us pretends to be something that we are not. If you're around people that may not be of the same denomination, they might not even be believers, they might be Roman Catholics, and you try to be more pious than Jesus Christ, and you try to be more learned than the Apostle Paul, that does not move the needle for the kingdom of God. We're in a society of hyper-materialism, exaggerated narcissism. You see that every day. More than ever, I've never seen it so much where people are so much into themselves. A society that is developing a fake culture, and I will tell you that artificial intelligence will multiply that a thousandfold. Because you don't know if what somebody's sending your messages comes from their heart or came from a machine. You need to lead, let the light of Jesus shine through you. You need to be transparent. If you ever go to buy a lamp for your house or night table, there are these modern lamps that are all glass enclosed and they have, the light source can go and fill a room. And then there are those that have translucent covers. Some have veils, some have opaque and provide a mood. But they're not transparent and the light does not reach where it needs to reach. So today I want to talk about a special passage, a passage that is before the law of faith. And this passage is in Mark 11, verses 12 through 14. This is a passage that is commonly misunderstood. Scholars, theologians get angered and confused about this. Probably most of the criticism about our faith and most criticisms about Jesus Christ from non-believers comes from this passage because it shows Jesus as a furious and violent man, a man that cursed the fig tree, something that was condemned in the Old Testament. The law of Moses in Deuteronomy condemns hurting any kind of fruit tree. This is the only miracle in the entire Bible, one of 39 miracles, the only one that deals with the concept of destruction. So what gives? 
What was Jesus trying to tell you and I with this? By the way, I assume that all of you know that this is not my day job, right? You here know me as Pastor Willie, but outside, in the secular world, they know me as architect Willie Bermejo, architect, designer, and builder of beautiful buildings and structures. I want to share with you a little bit of a secret. Before I build anything, before I build, I destroy, I clear, and I cleanse. If there's a building that has no purpose, that is bearing no objective, is helping no one, it is dry wood, we demolish it. If there's something under the ground that has been there for years and years and years and shouldn't be there and would interrupt the foundation of what I'm going to build, we dig it out. The ground, we turn it upside down. We clear it and we cleanse it before we build. Now, do you get an idea of where I'm going with this? In the book of Mark, chapter 11, verse 12 through 14, Jesus was in Bethany. He had stayed over at Lazarus' house. Lazarus was his close and dear friend. He had just raised him from the dead two weeks prior. It is the morning, Passover starting, and Jesus needs to go to Jerusalem. It's 13 of them. It's a lot of people to feed for breakfast. If it had been just Lazarus and Jesus, I can imagine they would have taken some eggs. Some, they would have been having a great time, the two of them. But that morning, they leave. Now, Bethany is about 45 minutes from Jerusalem, barely a two-mile walk. But there were no Denny's, no IHOPs, no McDonald's along the way, and Jesus was hungry. And the word says that in the distance, he sees a fig tree. And the fig tree was full of leaves. It was in full bloom. It was a beautiful tree. It was an attractive tree, and it gave the impression that the tree had fruit. And when Jesus approaches the tree, the tree was full of leaves, but there was no fruit. There were no figs. And Jesus say, may no one eat fruit from you ever. He said it out loud. The disciples heard him, and he went on his way. He didn't sit around to see if the prayer or the curse would work. He left. He declared it. He confessed it in authority, and he went on his way to into Jerusalem. They entered the temple, the temple, and he proceeded to remove all of the people that were merchandising, all the ones that were selling, all the ones that were exchanging money. He cleared all the animals out of the temple. And the word says that he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those that were selling those. It's important to understand that this was a business venture for the Sanhedrin. The sale of animals for sacrifice was big business. All the Jews had to go to Jerusalem for the holiday of holidays of Passover. And it was easier to buy the sheep once they got there at the temple than to carry sheep with them hundreds of miles, sometimes thousands of miles. So it made great business. Not only that, when they got there, 
many of these people were coming from different provinces, different countries, with different currency. So guess what? Money changing became a cottage industry. It was big business too. And Jesus said to them, is it not written that my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it into a den of thieves. And the word says that the scribes and the chief priest heard Jesus. And they thought out how they could destroy him. In other words, how they were going to kill him. Because they were afraid of him. Because all the people were astonished by his teachings. When the evening came, they left Jerusalem. And on their way the next morning, they passed by where the fig tree was. And the fig tree had died, had shredded, had withered away. And Peter, remembering what Jesus had said the night before, he said, Rabbi, the tree that you cursed has withered away. Now, this passage has been vexing for people for many, many years because on the surface, it seems like a total overreaction from Jesus. And according to the word, Mark said that it was not the season for figs. So no matter how hungry Jesus was, what, I mean, what in the, why would he curse a fig tree if it wasn't even the season for fig trees. In that region of the world, in the Middle East, in Palestine, there are three seasons for figs. And before the main season, there is a halfway season. And that season produces a small little fruit that is eatable. But this tree had full bloom. It had leaves like there had to be fruit in this tree. But still, when I read it, I'm sure when you read it, I have to assume that when you have read this, you might have said, boy, this is a little petty. This is kind of harsh, maybe a little unreasonable. Jesus wasn't trying to act out of spite, out of malice. He wasn't trying to be vengeful in cursing an innocent plant. Jesus always did something with a purpose. Always. So you have to ask yourself as you read the Bible, because the Bible, in this case, Apostle Mark, he's talking to you through the Holy Spirit. So what was the message? The fig tree was a metaphor. The fig tree was a metaphor for the Pharisees, for the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin. The same people that Jesus would accuse of being hypocrites, of being pretenders, of not being authentic. The fig tree was a metaphor for the people of Israel, the people that had turned their back on Jesus, the ones that did not receive him. In the book of Hosea, in the Old Testament, chapter 9, verse 10, the word says, and when you read this, you see, wow, you know, the Old Testament was a mirror, a prophecy of what was to happen in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, Thousands of years before, the word says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at first time. In Luke chapter 21, verse 29 to 30, Jesus tells the disciples, Behold the fig tree and all the trees when they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves. The fig tree was a metaphor for the people of Israel. 
Jesus came here for the purpose of redeeming us. But during the three years of ministry, he did four things. He recruited, he taught, he preached, and he healed. He recruited 12 disciples. One of them did not turn out to be so good. But the other 11, they were entrepreneurs. They were businessmen, fishermen, professionals. And he trained them over three years for a global mission. Just like Pastor Legallo does every Sunday with us. Just like we tried to do a week ago in the AO Leadership Conference. So what was Jesus trying to teach the disciples with this story? What would happen to Jerusalem for having the appearance of being righteous, but for having no fruit? Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no fruit. The sole purpose of a fig tree is to bear figs. There's no other reason for the fig tree. You and I exist not to be in an echo chamber preaching to each other, but to bear fruit, each one of us. In his last letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul said to them, because when he says to Tim, he's talking to you and I, preach the word, bear fruit. But the fig tree deceived Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. The fig tree was all show. It was all on the outside. It was all the appearance. But there was nothing inside. You can fool others, you can, but you can't fool Jesus. Jesus is looking for the fruit in each of you for the fruit in your spirit, for your works, with your family, with your workers, with your church, with your neighbors. And Jesus is also teaching us about the sin of hypocrisy. The fig tree was in full bloom, full of leaves, tremendous outward appearance. It attracted Jesus, but it was barren and it was empty inside. Hypocrisy was a basic criticism of, of Jesus. As you read in the New Testament, when he approaches the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were legalists. They pretended to be pious. They pretended to be holy, to be righteous, but they were empty. And he says to them, hypocrites, you are like whited sepulchers pristine and beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus chastised them for the show of spirituality, the show of righteousness. They were hypocrites, holy on the outside, empty on the inside. As Christians, we have to not only talk the talk, we have to walk the walk. Amen? And I don't know if you've ever congregated in churches like this or others. Never feel that you have to pretend that you have achieved a higher level of sanctification in comparison to the person next to you. And I know that there are pressures. I know there's competition between ministries and people jockeying for position 
Because just like in the outside world, I know that that happens in church also. But Christianity is not one size fits all. There's no need to pretend. You were created in God's image. In Genesis 1:27, God created man in his own image. It's only about your personal and intimate relationship with God. We are all a work in progress. None of us, none of us is finished. And the story of the fig tree, I want you to understand, is totally linked with the story of the temple. They are one. They're not independent stories. The cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple, they're one story. Who is the temple? I am the temple. You are the temple. You got to clear of all the weeds, of all the imperfections. You have to cleanse before you build your life. He died for us. And when he rose on the third day, and when you accept him, you are identifying with him. You are burying your old you, and you are coming up with a new you. You destroyed, you buried the old, you cleansed, you cleaned, you forgot your past, and you're new. You're a new creature in Jesus Christ. The temple was an exquisite building. And the temple was built to exalt the glory of God. And Jesus accused the scribes of converting it into a den of thieves. A place, imagine this, a place to take advantage. I mean, when you realize this, you understand the anger of why Jesus was furious. Don't read the Bible just as some kind of literature book. I want you to understand this. They were taking advantage of the pilgrims that had come hundreds and thousands of miles to Jerusalem. And when they got there, they sold them the animals for sacrifice at a premium. And the exchange rates were extortionary. This was not ideology. This was about money and power. And Jesus got in their way. That's what happened. Jesus got in their way. This was big business for the Sanhedrin. It was not about righteousness. It was about money. He was tampering with their Black Friday. That was the day where they made the most money. And Jesus got in their way. Let me tell you something about the temple, the house of God. It was a Herodian temple. It was built for Herod. It was one of the wonders of the world. And the temple was divided into four parts. There was the court of the Gentiles, which was the largest of all, the court of women, the court of the Jews, and the Holy of Holies. The court of the Gentiles was so large. I want you to imagine this. You've been watching probably NCAA football during the weekend. It was five football fields in length, three football fields in width. It's a big space. The Sanhedrin had converted that into a stockyard for sheep. 250,000 sheep would be sold during Passover. 
Can you imagine what the place would smell like after a few days? That holiday was the most important holiday in the life of a Jew. They would come from all over the world to arrive in Jerusalem, and they would be taken advantage of by the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. And this was not being done in the Holy of Holies. This had not been done in the women's court. This was not done in the court of the Jews. This was done in the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles was part of the temple. Because in the time of Abraham, God called on Abraham to be a blessing to all nations. And Israel had the mission of proclaiming the word of God, not just to themselves, but to all nations. So the design of the temple had a special space for non-Jews, where they could congregate. It was on the outer edges of the Herodian temple, but it was part of the house of God. The Jews that hated the Gentiles were weighing waiting and praying for the Messiah to come to cleanse the Gentiles out of Jerusalem and out of the temple. But in the meantime, they converted the court of the Gentiles into a stockyard of sheep. And Jesus came to cleanse the temple. Because the temple was for Gentiles, for people, not for sheep, not for goat, not for ramps. And the next morning, Jesus leaves. And Peter notices that the fig tree had withered away, had shriveled. It had been cursed. And that tree was now only good for firewood. It was a prediction of destruction. It was a prediction of the judgment day. And the metaphor about the fig tree, the metaphor of the temples, that both were cursed because God was not happy with what was happening in the temple. He was not happy with the leaders of the temple and with the people in the temple. That was a message, and that was a lesson of Jesus Christ to the 12 disciples between the parable of the tree and his cleansing of the temple. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what does this tell me here today, October 15th, 2023, at Alpha and Omega Church? What are the takeaways? Well, I'm going to share three with you as we close the service. Number one, be authentic. Do not pretend what you're not. Do not try to be more pious. Do not try to compete with a person sitting next to you in the pew. Do not try to compete for attention because God loves you the way you are and it's about you and a personal relationship with your Heavenly Father. If someone asks for your help, if they're thirsty, you give them that bottle of water you have. If they're hungry, you give them of your own food or you buy them food. If they need resources, you help them with whatever you have. Because if somebody asks you for water if they're thirsty, or food if they're hungry, or resources when they don't have any, and your response is, brother, let me pray with you, then you're no different than the fig tree. You may look Christian, 
You may talk Christian, but you're not acting Christian. You have to act Christian. You have to be authentic. And you cannot pretend what you're not. You have to let the light of Jesus shine through you. Number two, you have to be productive. Jesus was a man of organization, of discipline, and action. And action. Even at the moments that he rested, when he was on the bow of the ship and the oceans were coming, he was resting to convey a message that they needed to have faith. He was a man of action, and he invested, and he gave his life for you and me. So we have to be, as men and women of faith, we have to invest in the kingdom with our talent, with our money, and with our time. Amen? And the third takeaway and the final one, when the space between the reality of who you are and the expectations of the world outside of you, of the people that you work with, the people that you love, the people that you congregate with, the demands are many, and that space has grown wide, the only thing that brings it together is when you have the faith of God in your heart. Amen? I want you to please get up on your feet and raise your hands in the air. Father, Lord, bless every hand that's raised in, your, in this room, raised towards you. I declare blessing over each hand. I declare wisdom and discernment. I declare that in the households, in the homes of the people that are here today, there will always be bread. There will always be multiplication. There will always be abundance and plentiful. I declare authenticity and that each person healed will bear fruit. I declare that we walk by faith, not by sight. I declare that we call the things that are not as if they were. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. It is written in John 1:12. Those that received them and believe in his name, he gave them the power to become sons of God. In Matthew 10:32, Jesus told the disciples, whosoever shall confess me in front of men, I will confess him in front of my Father who is in heaven. But whoever who denies me, and denies me to acquiesce, to stand still, to not take a step forward. That means deny. Whoever who denies me, I will deny him in front of my Father who's in heaven. One night Nicodemus said to Jesus, Jesus, I want to have what you have. And Jesus said to him, Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God.